Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. If you take a look at what happened over the weekend, you see nothing but murder. Take a look at the stories. Lafayette, Indiana, two men killed, four others wounded. Then, of course, you've got the violence that took place at a a club uh, in Bloomington. Six people shot, three killed in Sunday morning violence. Three people found dead in a home after an hours-long standoff. Indianapolis, and not just Indianapolis, all dealing with madness. And all of this in, in the backdrop of the people of downtown Indy, which is an organization I like, saying that we need to bring people back downtown. Wish TV reported that downtown Indy is urging people to get back to downtown. Urging them through what? Showing them how safe it is? It's not. It's not safe. It's not safe. I'd like for it to be safe. I'd like for it to be good. Why shouldn't we be downtown? It's great, at least when it's great, but right now it's still not great. It hasn't recovered from two nights of rioting where no one has given sufficient explanation to how it happened. No one has given sufficient explanation to why it was allowed to happen, and no one has given anything sufficient to a rebuilding. The shops are still empty. I have been downtown. Yes, I know. I know I work from home these days. Well, I work from home for a variety of reasons. And I can tell you that the very least of them is whether or not I feel safe downtown. That happens to be true about me. I work from home because it allows me to get a little more rest for a day that starts very early. I do a lot of video work in between the two radio shows. Sometimes we have interviews and they have to be recorded early, right? It's the magic of radio, and we take care of that as well. I have a full, complete setup here that doesn't involve an extra hour of commuting and involves a lot more comfort. It makes sense to what I do. And I am thankful that everybody seems to get that. And I'm also thankful that we've got the, uh, the, the, the audience, the sponsors, the numbers. It kind of bears it all out that, you know what? We're all still kicking ass and taking names. It's really good. Things are, I, I greatly appreciate it like you wouldn't believe. And so if this means I can do my job better, so hopefully I'm entertaining better and informing better, so we're sharing better, and then sponsors are happier and you're happier, well then, win, win, win. The only person not happy, producer Ari. I get lonely. Which... Again, another win for us. That's terrible. But a lot of people take a look at what's going on downtown. They're like, I'll pass. Take my kids down there? No way. No way. These are the numbers as reported by Wish TV. In 2021, year to date, there were 79 homicides and 76 murders. 
Right now, year to date, 2022, there are 65 homicides and 62 murders. So 14. We're 14 down from last year. Okay, that's great. It is April, and we have 62 people murdered in Indianapolis. Um, it's 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 April, so that's four months. So is that is that 15 a month? So that's one murder every other day. For those of you playing the home game, it's one murder every other day in Indianapolis. We don't see ourselves as Chicago. Now I'll tell you, I was in Chicago just a couple weeks ago. Here was my impression: thought it was amazing. I, I, I know, I know, it doesn't make any sense. I thought it looked fantastic. I thought it felt fantastic. I enjoyed the daylights out of it. And said that to some of the people that I was with. I'm like, the place looks great. And they're like, yeah, yeah, don't, don't walk past that street. You know those areas by the river that you usually like going to? Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't do that after dark. What? I take my family. Never, ever worried about it. Walk around, check it out, look at the river, enjoy the people. They won't walk down there. They won't walk down there? What the hell? There are plenty of people who don't walk downtown Indianapolis anymore. They don't bother. Now, I have argued for a long time that part of the problem with Indianapolis is that it doesn't do enough to attract more families because everything is so bar sports uh, in- intensive. And I have nothing against bars or restaurants. I'm a fan of both. I've just argued you need more. You have to be more well-rounded. You have to be able to fill it all up. That's what you got to be able to do. So when downtown Indy wants more people to come back downtown... What they need is the backup from legislators, from elected officials, from civic leaders to push this idea and this theory. They're getting none of it. When I take a look at the conversation Dave Ricks is having uh, from Eli Lilly about education in, in Indiana... I don't get mad about that. I don't think he's, I don't think he's talking out his, uh, you know what? I think that he's bringing up something that's that's very very important. That li- that that uh, Indiana needs to improve when it comes to education if it's going to be competitive. I think that's a fine uh, it's a fine conversation to have, and some people might take that very 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 personally. But you're dealing with a major, major corporation, and you want to see where you're headquartered, people coming in and being able to help you build it up. Part of our problem is we have these corporate headquarters, but we don't have the people who run those headquarters living here. They got to live here, so they actually feel here and then work about making things better here, which brings us back to David Ricks. I want to know... What he believes are the answers to making Indiana more competitive. 
According to the Indianapolis Business Journal, Indiana falls short in education skills, the affordability of health care, robust green energy policies, workforce development, and inclusion of minorities and immigrants, areas where other states are far ahead and more competitive. I must say that I find this, uh, this statement, which is not an exact quote, uh, but comes from uh, the, the IBJ, uh, I find this to, to, to be lacking in, in substance, at least as written. What is a robust green energy policy? And tell me how that actually gets a workforce. Robust. What, is, what exactly is that? Inclusion of minorities and immigrants. Well, isn't that on you? Mr. Ricks, isn't that on Eli Lilly? Are you telling me that you don't hire minorities and immigrants? I, 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 I must say again that this does not make any sense in a larger uh, conversation. If the ability, if, if the issue is we don't have a skilled workforce, then you need to build a skilled workforce. But the skill gets taught. Is there a skilled workforce for white men and a skilled workforce for black women? Is this an argument? That's a weird argument. I don't know how you make that argument. I was just curious, trying to understand you. It seems that a lot of this statement is based on the idea of looking good as opposed to actual serious need. And also, if you're not going to discuss how we get there, ideas, theories, well, then we've got a bigger problem. We've got a bigger, bigger problem. I often talk about it, and I, I love it when people do this on social media. Oh, it's so great. All you do is complain. You never have suggestions. I have crap tons of suggestions. The argument I make regarding the violence is stop calling it gun violence and start talking about cause violence. What causes two people to want to shoot at each other? And what are you doing about that? And I argue repeatedly that the elected officials of Indianapolis don't say anything because they're afraid. They're afraid to say anything. Better to just blame guns and be totally ideological than to actually go about trying to solve a problem. That's what they do. And we need to be open and honest about the problem. And the problem is cultural. What makes one person want to shoot another person? I feel slighted. I feel upset. How dare you? He did me wrong. And the only way to handle this is by shooting someone? Maybe you could just drop that scumbag from your life. Somebody did you wrong, F them. Move on with your day. They have to get shot. Your life has to be over. You got to put somebody else's life at risk because you got slighted. You got some pride? Bitch, please. Ain't nobody got time for that. And all I need is one elected official to have this conversation. You want to talk about working on this? How is it that the Indy Star, which has given up being a newspaper, that's obvious. When it comes to RIFRA, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, and Governor, then Governor Mike Pence, they could do a big front page that says, fix this now. Murder on murder on murder on murder. And they never say, fix this now. They put their head in the stands, but don't worry, they'll have a, a report in three days about racism. Speaking of Mr. Ricks, did it really make sense to give money to Black Lives Matter when you could have put it into educational opportunities for IPS? I know you probably do a little bit of this and that and the other already. 
But I'm saying exactly how much was given to the grifting organization, Black Lives Matter, that could have been put into these issues. How about running, taking the money that you gave them and running ad campaigns about how we need um, to, to, to increase our workforce, how we need to better our workforce? That would be a worthy question or a worthy pursuit of, of the dollars. By the way, um, I have here a news release from Lilly that Eli Lilly and Company Foundation pledges $25 million to combat racial injustice. Yeah, that, that's, that, that, that's great. How'd that go? This was June of 2020. It's now April of 2022, and I have 65 homicides and 62 murders. I don't put forth to you that uh, th- those murders have, uh, were only people who are a, a racial minority. I put forth to you, has any of your money helped? What did it actually do? What did you build? You said, sir, this is personal for me and for the whole company. We commit to bringing people and organizations together to acknowledge the trauma of racial injustice in its many forms and create a call for act to action for lasting change. What do you think 62 Murders does? Doesn't create any trauma at all? My problem with your statement, sir, is not that you're wrong. I don't, I, I, I don't actually think that. It's that your actions aren't focused on solving a problem. And we need to solve problems. So, sir, could I get your help? I can't get it from the city county council. You could apply more pressure than me. Me, I'm just a radio host. Oh, don't get me wrong. Everybody's listening. Trust me when I say... Everybody's listening, but they all act like they're not listening because, Lord forbid, they should actually do one of the things that I suggest. But you, with your sign high on the building, why not make a statement that maybe the city council could do this or the other when it comes to violence? You watch how quickly they move. You're a corporate leader. You're not just a corporate leader. You might very well be the corporate leader of Indianapolis. So go lead. You think we need to do better on education? Great. How do we do it? How could we have taken $25 million and done it? Or is there something else that doesn't require the money? Come on. Let's talk this thing through, damn it. Let's actually do things. Let's actually do things. Stop being woke. Stop trying to look good to other people or or some investor. Start doing good for the company. Yes, I said it. Stop trying to look good for some investor. Stop trying to be like, look how woke I am. Here's $25 million. You want to help us build a city? Build it back better? <laughs> you got to love the way I said that. Come on. Appreciate that. Well, then let's go. Don't just say we need the thing. Let's go do the thing we need better education let's go do it we need a better workforce let's go do it let us lead by example we need a less violent city let's go lead by example let's have the conversations no one else will have and we will force those politicos to just come along 
They may be cowards. We don't have to be, sir. I'm not arguing your points. I'm arguing that you need to do something about them. I'm Tony Katz. So with all the Disney talk going on and Ron DeSantis, and of course uh, there was uh, the signing of the legislation that takes away the Reedy Creek Improvement District from Disney. That happens in a year's time. It doesn't happen overnight. will change the way that Disney has to run itself. It may change what it is they have to spend to do that or may change a level of profitability for them. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, it's great to be with you. Well, this has led to... A very interesting debate. One uh, a piece of it that that I shared on Friday, and conservatives engaged in a conversation about, well, should Disney or or should should Florida be acting this way or not? It's Disney, after all, uh, that wants to partner with organizations to go after Florida for their parental rights and education bill, which Disney lies about, calling it the "Don't Say Gay" bill. This very concept of debate about what should be handled, right? Is this, is this the, the state of Florida engaging in some kind of revenge or, or is this the, them standing up for a, a corporation that utilizes a tax advantage to then bully the citizens? This is a debate amongst conservatives in many ways and it's one of the reasons why I'm a conservative. Like, like this is what I'm in for. We're actually discussing theory as opposed to everybody's being on the same page and saying, if you say anything else, you're, you're, you're probably just a racist which happens on the political left. This brings us to some very interesting tweets. Mark Hemingway joins us right now, senior writer at Real Clear Investigations. You can follow him on Twitter at Heminator, H-E-M-I-N-A-T-O-R. And it was a a story over there on on Twitchy, right? I I do work for their sister site at Red State, State redstate.com. And it was from John Favreau there, Mark, uh, who was an Obama speechwriter, an Obama uh, guy. He now does some some rather popular podcasts. And he tweets out, Today's Republican Party, which is by no means conservative, wants the state to regulate many aspects of our private lives, our political beliefs, what we read, who we marry, when we have families. They're not anti-government. They're anti-governments that aren't run by them. And I thought this was a very, very interesting tweet, mainly because it's, it's false. But there is a conversation about the Republican Party and how you're seeing things go on in Florida. But first, let's get to your response to John Favreau here, a speechwriter from the Obama days. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it, it's such an absurd um, uh, I don't remember exactly what I tweeted, but it was such an absurd thing for him to to tweet simply because I mean, what he's tweeting is basically pure projection. I mean, first of all, to some extent, every political party, um, you know, doesn't like it when the other party is is running things. But secondarily, when if you look at what John Favreau, who was working the Obama administration, like, you know, presided over, you know, his boss was, you know, droning American citizens without trials. I mean, he, you know, they were, you know, nationalizing one sixth of the economy with Obamacare. I mean, just 
you know, on and on and on. I mean, they were, you know, oppressively, you know, tightening, you know, uh, eliminating freedoms for people. And here they are attacking Republicans for doing one thing, which, by the way, wasn't even, you know, drastically um, limiting freedom for anyone. What what was going on in Florida is they were taking away special privileges that have been granted to Disney, which is a, a far cry from, like, actively targeting something. And, and you know, then to defend you know, the free speech rights of a corporation. I mean, it's absolutely insane. I mean, you know, we spent years with Democrats arguing that they need, we needed to get corporations out of politics. But all of a sudden, the moment that, pol- that, that these big corporations become uh, enforcers of a social agenda, they can't get passed at the ballot box. Then all of a sudden, you know, corporations have free speech rights. I mean, it, it's, it's absolutely bananas. And it was, it's just pure projection on their behalf. What you what you put out there was Favreau was part of a presidential administration that sued nuns to make them pay for abortion drugs, where the IRS harassed political opponents and killed American citizens without a trial. You're in no position to lecture others here about your commitment to freedom. And, and I uh, agree with that point of view. But I, I am finding the debate part interesting amongst conservatives because it's the part that reminds me that as as a philosophy... This still works because there's the argument from the Charles C.W. Cook uh, camp that uh, DeSantis and Florida are engaging in, in, in revenge. You already won. You already got the law passed. What are you doing? And then there is the, we'll call it a, a, a Schlichterism, right, whether it's Kurt Schlichter or, 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 or some other people who, who want to, to, to state the idea that Disney is attacking you, and if you don't fight back the way they fight, you can't get anywhere. And then there's the Bill Crystal side who says, this only proves that I'm the only person who knows about conservatism and you're all terrible. So it, it, does the debate, is there a debate here that works for you that you're seeing as valuable, or is it just people trying to uh, keep their base happy, score a couple of points, make a couple bucks, and they'll move on to the next thing? Well, I think there's a tactical debate that can be had here between, say, the Charles Cook position, which is we were already winning this debate, so there wasn't a need to go, you know, a step further. And the people that think that, that you know, need to go, we do need to go a step further um, to as a, as a detriment, as a warning shot to other corporations. I mean, I think the reasonable people can disagree on, on what's necessary here. But what I don't think that you can argue, and, and there's there are a lot of disingenuous people on sort of the never Trump right or whatever who argue that it's somehow and, uh, you know, makes the GOP unprincipled to, like, fight back in any way, shape or form, you know, because they're just adopting the tactics of the left. When the reality is, is, you know, at some point you can't just, you know, stand back and let this happen to you again and again and again. I mean, there has to be some sort of solution here. Um, You know, David French uh, was saying on uh, um, over the weekend that basically, like, you know, I don't know why conservatives are upset about this. You know, the system works whenever, you know, corporations and the government go after people. You know, we we've been winning a lot of legal battles. I mean, but those legal battles are like 10 year Supreme Court lawsuits that cost millions of dollars that not everyone can engage in. So um, there has to be a, a pushback here of, of some kind, you know, how far we need to go. I think we can debate. But anybody who's suggesting that we don't need to forcefully push back against this trend of major corporations becoming, you know, the the, inform, the enforcement arm of, of the Democrats, you know, social, radical social and cultural agenda is, is kidding themselves. I mean, you know, this remember what happened was it 10 years ago in Indiana where they tried to pass a religious freedom law that was modeled on federal legislation that was um, sponsored by um, Chuck Schumer, 
and was signed into law by Bill Clinton. And all of a sudden, you know, you have uh, Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple Computers and Salesforce, the CEO, weighing in and threatening the state, even though this has nothing to do with their business. Um, you know, that's that's got to stop. Corporations need to get a, a, the message loud and clear that that can't be tolerated. Talking to Mark Hemingway, a senior writer uh, over there at Real Clear Investigations. Follow him on Twitter at Heminator, H-E-M-I-N-A-T-O-R. On the Twitter box, uh, look, I, I, I lived in Indiana uh, through, through the RIFRA debate. I'm a guy who opposed RIFRA. I just, I just saw it uh, differently. But your point is valid. But this now brings us to where I think another part of this conversation goes, the idea of corporations having uh, political voices. This was the Citizens United conversation. I'm not right. opposed to corporations having having voices, but I certainly can can make a claim that what Disney is doing is not about having a voice. It's about engaging in an attack on legislation by utilizing its bully pulpit to lie about it. Right. I mean, if the bottom line is this, is if you support and are cheering on a corporation wading into a major political debate uh, regarding something that has almost no effect on their business, like in the case of Disney in Florida or the case of, you know, Apple and Indiana's, you know, religious freedom law. Um, at that point, you actually don't care about democracy. You only care about power because there's no way that you should value, you know, the input of a corporation that makes billions of dollars a year. Um, you should see that as anything other than inherently distorting to democracy. And the hilarious thing is, is this basically Democrats used to have an, an like an extreme position on this, um, you know, that the corporations basically shouldn't be allowed to make any political contributions, you know, whatsoever. I mean, that was the, you know, campaign finance debate from, you know, that went on from, you know, the late nineties through the next decade or more. Uh, but the moment, we saw that, you know, corporation, the boards of major corporations became, you know, super liberal and woke. All of a sudden, you know, they decided that, you know, Disney weighing in on, what you know, trying to overrule the, the Florida, the Democratic elected Florida legislature. All of a sudden, that was a good thing. And I'm, I'm sorry, that's an absolutely, you know, terrifying trend. Um, and, you know, it, it's kind of crazy the once upon a time that, you know, Democrats saw this as a problem, you know, they may have saw it in, in, in this is a problem a bit more extremely than I, a bit, bit more extreme than I did. Um, but, you know, there, it's definitely a problem. And, uh, you know, the fact that we, we they, we've, they've completely flipped positions on this in the span of a decade, again, shows that they only care about power. They don't care about the principle of this, and they certainly don't care about, quote unquote, democracy. <clears throat> As you've been uh, watching this un unfold and we take a look at at, at, at polling numbers, right? Uh, Biden at thirty six uh, percent, but I'm I, I'm a guy who has a lot of problems uh, believing polls and believing the numbers. But certainly, you see enough of them, you can you can get a, a sense of, of things. Somewhere, the Democratic Party believes that the Disney fight, the the lying about this legislation in Florida, gets them somewhere in the midterms. Have you seen anything? Anything at all, anywhere, that shows that this is accurate, that by moving down this line, the Democrats create themselves opportunities to possibly keep either the Senate or the House in 2022? No, not at all. And again, like I said, it has absolutely nothing to do with their business. In fact, over the weekend, there was a you know story about how 
ExxonMobil had announced that, you know, they didn't want Black uh, Lives Matter flags or pride flags flying in any of their, you know, facilities or offices or whatever, because they wanted to maintain some sort of, you know, neutral appearance. I mean, I feel like, you know, corporations need to get sort of the message on this. Um, you know, very quickly, this, you know, you know, diversity stuff and, and you know, sweat, swept through America's HR departments and pushed corporations in a, a radical political direction that is going to negatively impact their business if it goes on any further. I mean, I, I think that, you know, whatever you want to say about what Florida did, I do think that, it, it, you know, whether it has, you know, with long term good or bad um, for the, the state. Um, it did send a clear message to other corporations across the country that they need to be start, you know, being careful about this because what was happening for the longest time was they were corporations were getting the best of both worlds. They were getting the Republican Party just to just support them on economic grounds, even as they, you know, promoted the social agenda of Democrats, um, a party that otherwise doesn't, you know, support them in, in terms of any sort of, you know, free market policies or things that might benefit their business. Um, and by not pushing back on that republicans were just putting themselves in a bind the reality is is corporations need republicans because they're the only party that you know, substantively believes in having any sort of you know free economy in this country and if they want to make money they need to recognize that before I, before i let you go just really quickly uh, in order to get to, to talk we had, we recorded this a little bit uh, earlier than the show began it's it's the it's the magic of radio people but he, the the big news of course is that twitter clearly has had to say to themselves, Elon Musk is bringing $46.5 billion to the table. He secured funding with Morgan Stanley. We can't afford to get sued by all the people who are going to sue us if we don't look at this deal. We don't want to sell to him, but we don't have a choice. And the rumor is that today is the day, and it could have already happened, that Twitter says yay or nay to a deal. If Musk does indeed get to own Twitter, what is the one change you want to see him make instantaneously? That's a really good question. Um, I um, want um, him to, you know, announce some sort of like sane reformation of the content moderation policies. I don't think that anybody disagrees we need content moderation on social media platforms. It's just that the rules need to be clear and they need to be applied consistently. Um, and, you know, they need to not involve skewing things on, you know, one particular side of the political debate. Um, just in the past, um, you know, a couple of days, you know, going back to our original conversation, Obama was on Twitter applauding the fact that t Twitter was banning content that went against the quote unquote scientific consensus of climate change. And, you know, whoever at Twitter is deciding what the scientific consensus is, please let me know. Um, you know, Twitter has made it uh, ban a permanently bannable offense to quote unquote misgender someone, even though there's an incredible, you know, live debate over transgenderism. Um, you know, and, and so, uh, I think if he can fix the content moderation um, policy so that they're neutral, clear, and fair, um, then uh, that would be just you know huge. And I, I think that the media wouldn't know what to do if, if that were the case. <clears throat> Mark Hemingway, you can find him over there at Real Clear Investigations. Heminator on Twitter, I appreciate you taking the time. We've got more. I'm Tony Katz. I didn't know that there was a conversation out of Los Angeles about homeless deaths and COVID. I didn't know that that was a, a thing. I don't know. I guess I missed it. I, all the things we were covering, it's possible to have missed something. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, what's going on? There was a report that there was a 56% spike in deaths amongst homeless people in Los Angeles County 
during the first year of the pandemic. I, I was I was unaware. I'm, I'm trying to think back if I ever did that story and somehow forgot I did that story, but neither here nor there. It turns out that that 56% spike was mostly driven by drug overdoses and not COVID. Now, that's kind of fascinating. It's fascinating in that certainly there were conversations about the homeless and COVID and then homeless shelters and everything else and where could people stay and how, how did you deal with a, with a um, communicable disease in, in these situations. So I remember those conversations between April of 2020, April 1st of 2020, March 31st of 2021, the county recorded 1,988 deaths of homeless people, up from 1,271 during the same period a year earlier. Now, part of it could be they had more homeless people. That could certainly be a part of it. But when they did the, the looked at the data and looked at the causes, it was overdoses. The drug problem is still massive. Absolutely massive. Methamphetamine was the majority. Prevalence of fentanyl also contributed. Now there's the conversation of did the did the uh, did COVID exacerbate drug use? And it's strange that that it did. People were at home, or people weren't able to connect with others, and maybe it was boredom. Maybe they just couldn't handle it, not connecting with others, and so you had these things. There is consistent proof everywhere, scientific and anecdotal, that lockdowns go against the human condition. Lockdowns are the enemy of free and thinking people. Lockdowns are the enemy of health. uh, Lockdowns are the the enemy of both mental and I should say physical health. And of of a working society. And we have to make dang sure that when they try again, we fight back very aggressively. Very very aggressively. I, I know what I said. Can't go through this again. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today.